Okay, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're looking at verse 11 this morning. Let's, let's open with a, a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your word and, and for all that you've done in our lives uh, as part of our salvation, and we just pray this, this morning as we uh, look at this verse that you'll know, help us to understand and appreciate that even more than uh, than we do now, Lord, and, and uh, help us to, to grasp the, the changes you've made in us and the, uh, how that applies in our lives and helps us in our daily daily lives. We just pray you'll bless our time now in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, well, we normally uh, read through the, a section of the passage to get our, our general context, and what we'll do is we'll read like one verse at a time. We'll usually start with Marie, and then we work our way back, so... You're next. <laughs> so we'll start in verse 9, okay. and we will read through the end of the chapter, end of chapter 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. How far are we going down? Through 20. Okay. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be nominated by any thing. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now God has not only raised, up, raised the Lord up, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? For he says, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin is a, every other sin in a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you? you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you were bought with a price, glorified God in your body. Okay, so uh, last week we were looking at verses 9 and 10, where it lists the, the different sins. And, and one of the things that we noted is that he doesn't say you, were, you committed adultery. He said adulterers. That's, that's their nature. These are unbelievers. He says, these are the people who will not see the kingdom of God. They're unbelievers, <coughs> unsaved. Um, and, and so he classifies them by their sin because, you know, as unbelievers, we're slaves of sin. That's what we are. That's our old nature. <coughs> and, and so you see at the first of verse 11, and such were some of you. That was their nature. That's what they were. And we talked about how now 
as believers, they are now something different. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creature, new creation. The old things passed away, all things have become new. And so that was kind of the emphasis uh, we were making last time. Um, one of the things that uh, I pointed out, you know, in our current culture, um, <coughs> we have welcoming churches where homosexuality is considered to be okay. Um, and this list makes it very, very clear that that is not the case. Um, at the end of verse 9, um, I think Marie read that one, and it talked about men who commit homosexuality. There's actually two different words there. And that refers to the two partners in a homosexual relationship. So it very clearly defines that here. That it's not acceptable. Um, so what we emphasized last time was really now in Christ, um, we're no longer sinners, we're the children of God. We are something new and different. And um, we, we looked at uh, you know, the practical aspect of that, the application, is that when, we, when we're dealing with sin in our life, we have to identify with the fact our, of, of our new nature, that we are children of God. We are not sinners anymore. We are now children of God. And we looked at Paul in, in Romans 7, where a couple places he says, you know, he, he, he's fighting with the sin. He says, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin within me. He is identifying as a new nature. He's identifying himself as a child of God, as a new creation. And it's that old sin nature is what is, what is sinning. And uh, we made the point, uh, looking at it was... Romans 6.13, do not go on presenting the members of your body as instruments of sin to you know, unrighteousness, but present them to God. So our, our bodies, our minds, our, you know, our, our physical nature are the members of our body. The old nature, the sin nature, needs those to satisfy its desires. So it's bugging us saying, I want your imagination, or I want your tongue, or I want your hands or something, your mouth, so I can satisfy my desire to commit this certain sin. And God's saying, no, you don't have to let it use your body. He says, keep your members, present them to God as instruments of righteousness. And so that was kind of what we were talking about last, last time. So we started verse 11 last time. Um, and again, it says, such were some of you. you know, and so we were emphasizing that that's what you were, now we're something different. We should identify with what we are now. And we started looking at this list uh, where it says, you, uh, but you were sanctified, but you were washed, but you were justified. And that, that word uh, translated but here, the adversative conjunction, there's... There's different words in the Greek that can be used here. This is the strongest adversative. You were this, but now you're something different. You know, you were this, however, on the other, you know, completely different, that you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified. So we are looking at that uh, 
difference last time. But this verse, I think verse 11, is, uh, is so important. Uh, you know, we're going to be looking at it again all day today. <laughs> Might not get through it. <laughs> these, are, these are significant terms in our salvation. Um, so looking at it again. And, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God, or by the Spirit of our God also. Um, so these t- terms here are all translated in the passive voice. That means someone did that to us. We didn't do it ourselves. You know, we, we don't wash ourselves. We don't sanctify ourselves. You know, God has done that. Um, and, the, you know, like you can look at the second two. You know, you were sanctified. You were justified. Uh, also, past tense. This is something that God had done in the past for them. The first one, where it says you were washed... Um, is a little bit different because in the Greek, you know, the words have uh, different voice, active voice, passive voice. You know, active voice means I'm doing it. You know, I hit the ball. Passive, I was hit by the ball. (laughs) And then there's middle voice, which means I do it myself. You know, or I cause it to happen to me. Well, this word for washed is in the middle voice. Um, and so, you know, to be really technical in the translation, you'd have to say you washed yourselves or you caused yourselves to be washed. And so looking at all these, the older commentaries, they say, well, this must refer to the fact that they got themselves baptized. So you have had yourself baptized, you know. Um, and something we saw early in the book is Paul said, you know, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you or <laughs> I only baptized a couple. You know, that wasn't important to him, the actual ritual. Um, but they also say that this idea of being baptized uh, then would symbolize the washing away of sins. And that's the way the commentaries put it. Typically, you know, when we baptize people, we go back to Romans 6. We died with Christ and were raised to new life. And that's what we look at it being a symbol of, dying with Christ and raising to new life. And so they're actually, you know, in these older commentaries, they look at it as being washed, washing away the sins. Um, this particular word's only used one other place in the New Testament. It's in Acts chapter 22. This is when Paul was converted uh, at Damascus and Ananias was sent to talk to him. So Acts chapter 22, would someone like to read verses 14 through 16? Okay, there you go. Wash your sins away. That's our same word. Um, what's interesting here is we've got the word baptize and wash away your sins. They are two separate words. They're not the same identical thing. 
but uh, whether you can link them here because of this verse or not, uh, I don't know. But this idea of being washed is definitely, I think, what, what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians. You know, we sing about, you know, being washed in the blood of the Lamb, you know, washing away that guilt of our sins, the filth of the sins. Um, we have that idea in First uh, John one nine. Let's look at First John one nine. This is not the same word. First John one nine. Someone like to. Sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, there's the cleansing. Um, I looked in the vines under the word wash. I think there's like six different Greek words that can be translated wash. Some are for washing inanimate objects, like you wash the dish. Some are for washing your hands. Some are for bathing, like your whole body. You can remember at the Last Supper, you know, Jesus was going to wash Peter's feet. And, and, and Peter says, no, give me a bath. <laughs> Jesus says, no, you don't need the bath. It's just your feet. Uh, so there's a lot of words for wash. But anyways, it's the idea here. Of, you know, in First John, it's someone who's already saved. But our sins uh, interrupt our fellowship with God. And so it's, the, it's something we repeat. It's, it's the cleansing from the sin, the forgiveness of sin, because, you know, it's difficult when you sin to feel comfortable walking into the presence of a holy God. And God says, that's okay, I'll wash you. You can come into my presence. And that's what First John 1, 9 is. You don't have to be hesitant. Confess your sins, that's all I require, and I'll wash away, make you acceptable. This word is used... In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it's used in Job chapter 9. So let's go back and look at Job. Job chapter 9, yes. And would someone like to read verses 28 through 31? I am afraid of all my pains. I know that you will not acquit me. I am accounted wicked. Why then should I toil in vain? If I should wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you would plunge me into the pit and my own clothes would abhor me. Okay. So here he's talking about washing himself. If I could wash myself as good as I can, I'm still polluted because of my sin. You know, he, need, he recognizes he needs God to wash him and to take away his sin. So this idea of, in, back in verse 11, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, is Probably the idea of being washed and cleansed from the pollution of our sin it doesn't directly refer to getting baptized. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's, I think it's pretty unlikely that this is a verse saying you need to get baptized. Um, but the idea of being washed from our guilt and the, the stench of our sin. Um, 
We have other passages that talk about being cleansed. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Would someone like to read verse 22 for us here? Okay, we have washed. This is not the identical word, but it's related to the, our word from verse 11. And so he's, you know, in Hebrews we're being encouraged to, to go boldly into the God's presence. We've been washed. We're clean. You know, it's not like, uh, I know sometimes Joe comes to the elders' meetings after he's been working all day in the afternoon and he says, don't mind me, I've been out in the chicken house. <laughs> you know, he's hesitant. You feel a little bit insecure about going to a meeting when you know you don't smell the best. <laughs> and, and he apologizes for that. Um, I saw some cats right by the road when I brought mom over, so I imagine that's where Joe is he's getting the cats. <laughs> They're running through the fence, even yeah. though it tests hot. Yes. <laughs> So, you know, looking at our, our verse, these are the things, you know, we're looking at three of these things that God has done for us. You know, we were, you know, when he said, tells the Corinthians, this is what you were. Mm -hmm. Well, that, was, that applies to us too. We were sinners. We, we each had our own favorite sin, predominant sin in our lives, and that's what we were. And now we, what has God done about it? And so the first thing we're looking at is we were washed washed clean of the pollution of that sin. So the second thing we have in verse 11, he says, but you were sanctified. And again, this, is, this word is definitely passive and past tense. God did it, it's done in the past. And uh, so it, it does not refer to what we might call progressive sanctification, which is in our daily walk, learning to uh, uh, walk in a holy manner and not sin. But this is our positional sanctification. This is what God does when he saves us. And, and this is something we have complete and it, it's not affected by anything now. So in, in progressive sanctification, we play a part. You know, we have to make decisions about, you know, am I going to, you know, we, we already talked about, am I going to... Um, present the members of my body to sin for unrighteousness. You know, so we're constantly faced with that. But this is uh, our position. This is what God has done. Now the basic idea of sanctification is to set something apart from ordinary usage unto a special function or purpose for God. Let's go back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Someone like to read verse 2. The church, the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and their Lord and our 
and ours. Okay, so he starts, he starts the epistle by telling the Corinthians, you have been sanctified. And then the whole rest of the book is dealing with their sinful practices. So he's not talking about progressive sanctification. You're not living the way you ought to, but you have been sanctified by God. And um, your version said, holy ones. Well, mine says saints. They're saints. And the word saint is basically the noun form of sanctified. If you have been sanctified, you are a saint. How do you get to be a saint? You have to be sanctified. It's this uh, uh, saint is the word dike, and sanctified is dike sune. So it's, it's the noun form of the same word. Um, in chapter 1, let's turn uh, to verse 30. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. Would someone like to read that for us? And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Okay, so here he is again telling them they've been sanctified through Christ. Um, and I want to look at a couple other passages. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. As we get further in the verse, it'll say we're you know, this is done by the Holy Spirit. Second Thessalonians 2, some like to read verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and believe in the truth. Okay, so here we, you know, he's writing to the Thessalonians. You're saved by, or through sanctification by the Spirit. Um, let's also look at Peter, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, someone like to read verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Okay, so you see something real similar to what Paul has written. Paul begins his letter to the Corinthians by saying, you're sanctified, you're saints. <clears throat> Peter begins his letter the same way, you know, you've been sanctified. And, and both Paul and Peter say this is sanctification through the Holy Spirit. So since God has sanctified them, they are saints. Um, I'm going to look at another, one more passage, Philippians chapter 4. <laughs> feel guilty saying, just one more thing, one more thing. <laughs> one more passage on this page of my notes, and then I'll flip the next page and we'll have more. Philippians chapter 4, someone like to read verses 21 and 22. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Okay, he's using the word saints here to apply to believers. If you're a believer in Christ, you're a saint. God's people. God's people. You're God's people. Even if we don't act that way. Okay, 
Even if someone else doesn't act that way, they're still a saint. They're set apart for God's purposes. Um, and this is, I mentioned before, this called positional sanctification. And I, I was thinking, this, this is actually, it's not so much our position, it's, it's what we are. And I don't know if it might be better to call it existential sanctification or something like that. Those side by side of holiness. Yeah. Because we're holy, but are we holy? Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's what we actually are. You know, and it's, it's not like something we borrow from somebody. It's God says, I have set you apart for my purposes. And it's based on what Christ has done, has done by the Holy Spirit, but it's a done deal. Um, so let's look at, like I said, let's turn the page and I got another verse to look up. First Peter, again, chapter 2, <coughs> this time. First Peter chapter two verses nine and ten. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you've had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, so this describes <coughs> uh, sanctification. Um, we don't see the word translated that way, but it's, when it says holy nation, holy means to be set apart. That's probably decay. The word being set apart that is uh, translated sanctified in other places. A people for God's own possession. You know, that's the definition of being sanctified. We're set apart for God's purposes. And then he describes what some of the purposes are to exp you know, proclaim the excellencies of, of God. Um, and so, it, and again, it says, this is what you are. You know, it's not like um, the title that's been bestowed on you that's not really yours or what, you know, you might just call yourself Christian. No, you are changed. You are set apart for God. And again, you know, when we looked at the list of sins last week, that is what they were. That was their nature. Now we're looking at what we are, what our new nature is. We're sanctified. We're washed. So, this is how we're supposed to act. And that's probably why Paul is telling the Corinthians this. This is what you are. Now act that way. One of my commentaries referenced Philippians 2. You know, God says, work out your salvation. You know, that's, we've been saved, now work it out. You know, live that way, act that way. And God wills and works in us to accomplish that. Now, one of the things about uh, 
or sanctification, you know, it, you know, in a way, it, it doesn't just stand alone. It's dependent on other a- aspects of Christ's sacrifice. Um, again, look, looking at an Old Testament example, an animal was sacrificed to pay the penalty for sins, and that results in justification. The blood was then sprinkled on an object or person to be sanctified. And that washes away the pollution of sin. So if you go back and, and look in the Old Testament about when um, the priests were anointed the first time. You know, there's an animal sacrifice. And, and so they were set apart for God's purposes. They were made holy. The animal was sacrificed. The blood was collected. The blood was... And they went down the right side, put it on their ear, their thumb, their toe, <laughs> sprinkled blood on them. They, they had to wash. Um, they put on the new robes, and then they were set apart as holy unto God. They were sanctified. So there's a lot of different things involved in it, but this is kind of the end result of all these other steps, and it was all through Christ. Okay, I've got a couple more passages to look at, and we'll go on to the next term. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews references the Old Testament ceremonies quite often. So Hebrews chapter 10, would someone like to read verses 9 through 14? Verse 14 also, please. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Okay. So this, again, alludes back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. But Christ comes as the perfect sacrifice to give us a perfect sanctification. It's done once, it's for all time. We have been sanctified. And he talks about... um, uh, in verse 9 and 10, I've come to do your will. And it's by his will, that's Christ coming to do the Father's will, through that we have been sanctified. Let's turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, and someone would like to read verses 17 through 19 for us. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Okay. Okay. That's that's good enough, yes. Um, So this is Christ's prayer on behalf of his people. 
telling God to sanctify them, set them apart in truth, in reality. They might actually be truly set apart. And he says in verse 9, For their sakes I sanctify myself, or I consecrate myself. I set myself apart to do your will. That's what we just read in Hebrews, that he has done the Father's will. And that result of him setting himself apart to go to the cross. So he sanctifies himself, not from sin, he was sinless. He sanctifies himself and sets himself apart to do this, to do the Father's will, to go to the cross as a basis then for our sanctification. God can be just and, and take us. So, um, so that's what, that's sanctification. Okay, so we've gotten through two of the words. <laughs> Maybe we'll start looking at justification. We got five minutes left, and I know I'm not going to get through justification. But uh, third, uh, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, again, this is a passive and past tense. God has done this to us, for us, and it's done in the past. So we have been justified. And the main point of justification is to satisfy God's justice. I think to me that's the easiest way to remember it. God is just. And to satisfy his justice, we have to be justified. <laughs> um, so when we look at the word justification, we're talking about something that's individual. Each one of us is justified as a result of faith. Now it's related to propitiation. And that's a word, to propitiate someone means to satisfy them. You know, if they've got something against us, uh, we have to deal with that, and then they're satisfied with whatever, you know, we do. Uh, they're propitiated. Um, and that propitiation is the basis for our justification. God is satisfied. His justice has been violated. His, his holiness has been violated. Christ has satisfied those things. And so because God's justice has been satisfied through propitiation, now he can justify us. If that makes sense, hopefully. <laughs> Let's look at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, someone like to read verses 24 through 26. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Okay, so here we see the propitiation in Christ's blood. Christ died as a propitiation for our sins to satisfy the Father. Um, and that allows God, as it says in the end of verse 26, he can be just, he can be perfectly just and holy, 
in justifying us because the price has been paid. <coughs> if the penalty hadn't been paid, he can't just, wait, I don't, you know, I'm just going to wave my hand and ignore your sin. He can't do that. Um, the, the penalty has to be paid. Um, and a couple times what we see here, again, it's, it's a gift by God's grace. We don't work for it. How do we get it? We're justified uh, in his blood through faith. In verse 25 and at the end of 26, justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So it's, it's like Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Yeah? For by grace we are saved through faith and out of ourselves. It's a free gift of God. Now, propitiation is a term, you don't see it connected to faith. It's, this is what Jesus Christ has done. He is the, I'll bring in another word, he is the expiation, he is the sacrifice that propitiates, that satisfies God. He did this on his own, not because we believed in him, he did it. He set himself apart, he uh, obeyed the Father's will, and he offered himself as the propitiation. He satisfied God's justice. And that is necessary so that then God can save us and we can be justified by faith. Um, and here's where you get into some differences between theological systems. I look at propitiation mainly as being a satisfaction of God's righteousness. It's not directed toward individuals who are saved. It's a complete satisfaction of God's righteousness. Um, let's turn to 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, someone like to read verse 2. He is a propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the whole world. Okay. So propitiation is, um, when they talk about definite atonement, it's not definite. It's not for a particular person or just for the elect. It's, it's for God. And I think, you know, whether anybody was saved or not, God was offended by our sin and he had to be propitiated. So it's not linked to any individual. You know, we are not propitiated by faith. God has, you know, Jesus has propitiated God. However, faith, or excuse me, not faith, but justification um, is always linked to faith. Um, so salvation requires you know, the payment of the penalty, which is you know, God does for all, or Jesus did for all. But then we have to put in faith, uh, uh, accept it for ourselves. So this is the individual reception of this propitiation as our justification. Um, sometimes in the Bible it's called receiving, believing, the faith in Christ, obedience to the gospel, but whatever it is, is a personal appropriation of Christ's propitiation for ourselves. Let's go back to Leviticus chapter 1. Yes, an atoning sacrifice. That could be an, ex, an expiation. Yeah. 
I've seen some people, you've got words like expiation and propitiation. Some say, oh, that just means the same thing. But I think it's a little different. Okay, Leviticus chapter 1, someone like read verses 3 and 4. Okay, verse 4 is particularly uh, what we're looking at. Uh, then chapter 3, let's turn to chapter 3. Um, Some would like to read verses 1 and 2. If your offering is a fellowship offering, and you offer an animal from the herd, whether male or female, you are to present before the Lord an animal with, without defect. You are to lay your hands on the head of your offering and slaughter it at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Then Aaron's sons, the priest, shall splice the blood against the side of the altar. Okay. Um, we have similar verses like this all through Leviticus. You bring the sacrifice to the priest. You put your head on your hand on the head of the animal. You're identifying with this animal. It's the sacrifice. It is the um, atoning sacrifice that will propitiate God. And in a sense, you're, you know, you've got this calf there, and you say, okay, calf, I'm, I'm identifying with you. You are going to be, take all my sins, you're going to go and die for my sins so that I can be free from the guilt. That's basically what that's saying. You know, so by, and that's an act of faith. You know, do you really think a dead animal is going to get you into God's goodwill? God said it, so they did it, because that's what God told them to do. So it's, that's the act of faith, and then the animal's death is accepted on your behalf, and you are justified. So that's the identification with our sacrifice. And... We'll have to stop there. <laughs> We've already gone over a little bit. Joe, you want to pour some prayer for us? Dear Father, we thank you that you are willing to be that sacrifice for us that atoned our sins that we take the place. That, that we thank you. thank you for that. You were willing to take that part upon yourself for the plan that was set in, set in motion. And Lord, it wasn't a hurry to catch up because sin was here, it was a plan from the beginning of time, beginning, beginning of, all the way through. We know you're unchanging. We know that you're your plans are unchanging. We thank you, Lord, that your word is unchanging. Thank you for this hour. We have the next hour to come. Your fresh name, pray. Amen. Mm -hmm. Deborah?